Hi everyone, I'm Rosemarie Miller here with Regina McCann-Hess, a certified divorce financial analyst and CFP, here to tell us about practical advice for navigating a divorce. Thank you so much for joining me today, Regina. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So Regina, how do you assess a client's financial situation when they're going through a divorce? Mm. Uh, it can be tedious at times. Uh, so what you do is you look at all the assets that are in the marriage. So it's it's kind of like you have um, you know investments and uh, debts and checking accounts and credit cards and everything, and you just put it all on the table, kind of like you're making a jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. And then once you have all the pieces together, you have to then divide it into two separate buckets or two different puzzles because the two parties are now splitting and they have to figure out what asset is gonna to go to which spouse after, after the divorce. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you're looking at these assets and, and debts included, included in there and you're trying to decide, especially for me, I'm, I'm usually working with the women uh, on, on their side of the divorce. I'm trying to decide what's gonna work for them after the divorce and, and going beyond that. Um, and it's it's difficult in a lot of times because an asset could look the same on paper, but it's not. So take for instance, if you have a, a house that's worth five hundred thousand dollars, and there's no mortgage, it, your asset number is five hundred thousand dollars, and then you have an IRA that's also worth five hundred thousand dollars. So on paper, the same number it, it adds up. Right. But if you were to sell the house and and if you held it long enough and you didn't have capital gains you get that $500,000. But the IRA, if you were to take that money out of the IRA, which sometimes sadly people need to, um, you would have to pay tax on that money. And that would be, so if you're in a 22% tax bracket, wow. you're basically netting 78% of that. And that's a lot different than the whole 500,000. So you have to figure out, yeah, they need the assets, but which assets do they need and which ones are gonna work harder for them? And, and then sometimes it also is, can they afford to have that asset like the house if there is a mortgage? Can they afford to pay that mortgage or refinance a mortgage in this environment? Well, could you provide some examples of financial challenges that you typically see when people are going through divorces? Yeah, yeah, so the biggest thing is you're going from, you know, sometimes a two income house uh, than to a one income house. And in most cases, you have a big income disparity with between the spouses. One spouse makes a lot more, the other spouse makes a lot less. There's also s still a lot of women who, while they're working in the home, taking care of the family, they're not getting paid for that job, right? It, it, and it is a job, mm -hmm. um, but they're not getting paid for that. So there's a one household income that's you know taking care of everything. And on the other side, um, that spouse that wasn't in the working world is now trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I pay my bills? I obviously may need to have to go back to work, um, but I've stepped out of work for 10 years to take care of my family. So I was uh, a professional and I had a great job and a, and a great title, but now I have to go back in at like entry level to get back into the working world. So I don't have the earning power that I did 10 years ago. So there's a big disparity right off the bat between you had the one household, now you go to two households. And a lot again, a lot of times it's the woman there where the income is going to be substantially less than the than their 
counterpart uh, because they have not been in the working world for so long and they have to start over. You know, I, I hear about that very situation quite often. And I'm wondering what advice would you give for a young woman who's just getting married? And of course, she's not getting married planning for her divorce. No. Would you suggest that, you know, she she take the time to go focus on her family or that she stays in the workspace? Like what? Yeah, though there's a an emotional answer and then and there's a financial answer, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the the emotional answer is depending on the woman, she wants to stay home with her children and raise her children. And in some cases, they may not have the choice to make because if they have a special needs child, it's very difficult, you know, and somebody does need to be there with the child. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if it's a financial decision, I, I talk with a lot of what I call kids. They're not kids, they're young adults, but you know, <laughs> I'm of that generation where I'm like, oh, they're still kids. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, they're 32. They're not a kid. <laughs> I still do it. But I talk to them because they're, they're the children of my clients and they're getting married and they're having kids and they're like, oh, it's just cheaper for me to stay home by the time I get done paying um, daycare. And I explained to them, it actually isn't. If they can afford the daycare, they should, because if they stayed home to avoid paying daycare, then they're giving up their pay raises, they're giving up their titles, their advancements, and five years goes by and they haven't worked for five years and they're back at square zero. The other thing that they give up during that time, it's like kind of the hidden um, asset that they give up besides just earning money, earning potential and their titles, they're giving up um, contributions to the retirement plans. Mm. Uh, because while you're working, you're contributing to your retirement plan. And if you step out of work, you're obviously not able to except to an IRA, but it's small amounts only that you can put to an IRA compared to what you can put into a 401k or a 403b. Well, what strategies do you recommend for equitable distribution of assets? We're going back to the distribution of assets between um, a the two ex-spouses, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, trying to be fair uh, and equitable are two different things, right? It, it, when you're going through a divorce, sadly, there's no real fair, but there is equitable. So, you know, in some cases, it might be a 50-50 split. And again, you know, that could be determined by what state you live in because they may decide, hey, everybody in this state, everything's split 50-50. I, I work in Pennsylvania, so it's negotiated um, between the divorce attorneys or the mediators and, and, and the couple. Um, but sometimes it's a 50-50, sometimes it's 55-45 and 60-40. And you'll see the disparity of the different um, splits based on the income sometimes that the one spouse you know, may make quadruple what the lower earning spouse makes. And then mm -hmm. sometimes that higher uh, asset split going towards uh, the wife, we'll just say for now, um, is um, equitable because they don't have the earning power to, to survive on the other side of divorce without that extra asset split, plus hopefully some uh, spousal support in the meantime to get them up and running. Wow. Yeah. Oh my, what? At what point does someone hire you? Like, I, I, I once again, I haven't been before. So, I, you know, do do people hire you with their attorney, or are you necessary? Uh, what CDFA is yeah. like? What at what stage does someone hire you? 
Well, I mean, not everyone needs someone like me. I mean, mm -hmm. I have had people come to me and say, oh, here's my situation, can you help me? And I've said to them, you really don't need me. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you need a divorce coach or, you know, go back to your attorney and this, these are the questions I would ask or, you know, in your mediation, these are the questions I ask. But uh, it really is depending on their financial situation. Mm -hmm. And obviously the more assets they have, the more complicated it gets. Okay. Um, and so, it, I have had people come to me in all stages of the divorce. They've come to me before they've, you know, reached out to an attorney or, or a mediator. They've come to me while they're in the midst of it. I've had attorneys call me and say, hey, I need you to help my client. Uh, she needs an advocate. And and by an advocate, it means I, I'm using my divorce financial analyst background to help figure out the asset split and which assets are gonna help her on the other side of the divorce. Because if you don't really understand what you're getting when you sign that divorce agreement, you can't go back and, and ask for a, a change once that divorce agreement is, is signed. You have to go understand what you're signing and that's kind of what I help people do. I obviously I help them figure out what assets are going to be better in their pile to help them navigate post-divorce life. Mm -hmm. But I also help them understand what those assets are going to do for them and what what the difference of the asset split and taking this asset versus the other asset is going to how it's going to help them on the other side. So, how does one budget those well, not just the assets, but how does one budget their money after a divorce? Yeah, uh, starting over, uh, really. And, and I've had a couple clients who've done such a great job of this. I was actually just talking to a client a couple days ago, and then yesterday I was talking to another client, and we were talking about their budget. And they, you know, it's a lot easy now to get a budget app off of your phone because you can have an app for everything, right? Um, but it, if you're willing to do the work and like really get in the nitty gritty, the budgeting is the first thing to do. And you can do that while you're still married because you can see what the household bills are. You know, what's the utilities for this house and, and how to, you know, how much it really costs around the house, whether or not you're going to be in that house or a different property afterwards. You can see the general expenses and hopefully you can obviously, you know, whittle them down a little bit. Mm -hmm. But if you create, help someone create a budget and I work with my clients for that, let's create a budget where we can stay within, you know, your income guidelines. And that way, you know, you get really, really tight for that first year after after divorce because you're just still trying to figure things out. But it also helps you understand the value of money and what what it does for you and how it can hurt you if you make some uh, some poor choices. What are the differences you've seen between the women who still have children that, you know, are of age where they can receive child support versus those who are not of that age so they they really don't see any income? Yeah, and and that's that can be difficult too. So obviously when you have kids you you need the child support because kids are so expensive and and a lot of times child support doesn't even cover the full cost of the kids. So one of the things I do talk to my clients about is negotiating, you know, you have your child support, right? And that's a formula, but you also negotiate the additional expenses that you could share, um, say, you know, the sports, the activities, the car, the insurance for the car when they get to that age. There's a lot of hidden like expenses that you don't think about. Uh, especially if you're not there yet. So mm -hmm. negotiating that into the agreement as well. Hey, we agreed to uh, split these costs, these additional costs. 
50-50, whatever, whatever the percentage is. Um, then when we get to the spouses who the kids are out of the home, um, you know, if they've been married a long time, in some states there's still spousal support, depending on which state you're in. I'm in Pennsylvania, and it actually varies county by county. I'm in a tri-county tri area, and it depends on what county I am with which rule they're going to use. Mm -hmm. In general, um, we try to think about, you know, for, um, you know, how many years you've been married, you, you know, potentially could get a year of alimony. So, you know, for every three years of, of marriage, one year of alimony. Um, and that's just a guideline. That doesn't mean, you know, that's ab absolutely going to happen, but mm -hmm. it's a guideline where we can use that for negotiation. Well, Regina, in your experience, what are some often overlooked financial aspects that individuals should address during divorce negotiations? Oh, that is a great question. I think, um, you know, states, most states, I think, uh, do not include college expenses in the required part of the negotiations or agreements. Uh, and as we all know, college is extremely expensive. Uh, so that I think could be part of a negotiation where we just add something into the document where each parent could be responsible maybe for 20% you know, of the child's expenses during college. And that leaves the child you know, on the, you know, pot potentially having to take loans if he or she doesn't get grants or scholarships or whatever as well. But at least it puts some skin in the game for the parents. Uh, some parents would hate me for saying that, um, but it is a hidden problem that people don't think about. Uh, and it's not enforced by the by the states and in the divorce court, but if you're negotiating and you put it into the agreement yourself, it could be something that could help. Uh, that's a big expense people don't think about. And the kids, when they get to driving age, you don't think about a car or the car insurance because that's another, I have a new driver in the house. The car insurance is expensive. How's that going? Is well, so far, so good. It's okay. It's okay. okay. I know my parents, their heart used to skip a beat every time uh, I left yeah. home. Yeah, I'm like, oh, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, what role does financial education play in empowering clients to make informed decisions during a divorce? A huge role. A lot of the women that I work with they're smart women. I mean, even if they are working, you know, they didn't stay at home. They're in really great roles in their jobs, but they've a lot of times have given the financial decisions to the other spouse because they're too busy. They're working and they're taking care of the kids. They're taking care of the house. They're taking care of everything. And they're a lot of times also taking care of the adult parents like their parents because you know there's sometimes illness there so financial decisions are put off to the side and they don't they just don't have another thing to think about so they hand mm -hmm. that off so one of the things that i do is i educate my ladies and, and i always remind them like hey this is like riding a bike you haven't done it in 10 20 years but mm -hmm. i i can tell you that if we work together and i talk to you in non-jargon language you're gonna have a better feel for this. And if you work on that budget with me for the next year or so, you're gonna be a year or two from now doing much, much better and understanding much more of this uh, along the way. So has being a CDFA, has it changed your views of marriage at all? Hmm. No, because I mean, well, I've been married for, oh gosh, I hope I get this right, 20, it's 28 years this year, 29 years in um, 
in uh, June of 24. Um, so I've been married for a very long time and it's, you know, knock wood, it's, it has stuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have seen from some very, very sad cases uh, and, and some horrible situations and, and it's really, really sad. Um, but I, I do talk to people about getting therapy because one of the biggest things that will help someone is if their mental health is, is better and improved. And it also will help them avoid making the same mistakes, you know, and, and I'm sure in any marriage there's, you know, there's contention at times and, you know, it's not just one person, there's two people in there and there's, you know, everybody's put it, putting something into that marriage, but there's also problems and it's both of them sometimes and it's, you know, one-sided on in, in other situations too. Mm -hmm. I would still get married. <laughs> um, I do recommend like for my younger people, like when they get married to have a sit down conversation uh, with both of them. They bring all their assets and debts to the table, kitchen table conversation. And I think if they have that conversation and have a good foundation with that conversation and then agree to have it, you know, every quarter, they're still going to be part of the decision making and they're not going to be able to basically check out on that mm -hmm. they're going to be involved and in, and maybe you know have some ownership and accountability in it too well is there anything else on your radar about financial planning for a divorce or <laughs> that you would like to put on our radar um no, just, you know, when when you are going into a divorce, there's a couple things that I do recommend people do before they go into that divorce. Uh, one is to get a credit card in your own name uh, because you want to start building your own credit. And if you apply for that credit card while you're still married, it's looking at household income versus your own income. So you can, you know, do that. And then once you get the credit card, only put gas on it and then pay it off every month because that's going to help build your credit report. Um, if you have any health issues or dental procedures get them get them taken care of because you may not have the same health insurance on the other side of the divorce um, and uh, spice up your interview wardrobe because you may have to go back to work and you may have to interview or you may have to look for a better paying job and also mm -hmm. with that you know look at your resume and build that up as well well thank you so much for joining me today Regina thank you for having me absolutely okay Thank you for Thank doing you. this. I appreciate it. I'm lucky.